The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I wanted to have a little bit of time before our last sitting together for another opportunity for questions, comments about what's, what you're experiencing, about the instructions, about the non-instructions. Anything you'd like to, to say, just an opportunity for that. I guess this is on. Yeah. Um, This practice is, I guess, very similar to what I often do anyway because I find it very difficult to focus on one object of meditation. But that's because I just find it very difficult to focus, period. (laughs) I mean, my mind is very scattered and and it's always jumping around from thought to thought. uh, And... um, I think that's my main uh, problem with with meditation. Uh, Is there anything specific in this instruction tradition that addresses that kind of problem? Um, So in terms of um, the mind kind of jumping around and having trouble settling down... um, I think in in this tradition, it's not so much that we try to fix that but that we try to wake up in the midst of that. So the, the, the mind that, and it sounds to me like if that's, if that's your mind, if that's the way your mind is kind of put together, that this style of open awareness practice would be much more natural for you as a doorway to, to meet the meditation than the focused awareness would be. And so with, the, um, with this approach, the stability of mind comes from the mind able to be with all of the change. So um, there's, there's the continuity of awareness, so the continuity of the mind being present, not pulled off into thought. And that, that can begin to stabilize the experience, even though the attention is not stabilized. Um, I don't know what would happen... Um, um, you know, I find at this point in my life something about what's going on in my mind um, uh, very much when I sit down to meditate, the mind is just, you know, jumping. It's, it, it doesn't stay still for very long. And yet I can be easeful about that and I can be present and know exactly what's happening. And there's understanding, there's insight, there's wisdom that can arise from just being present for the mind as it is functioning. And so from the perspective of wisdom, from the perspective of freedom, the mind doesn't have to settle down. (laughs) Um, It does need the continuity of mindfulness, which I think if you you had been trying to uh, cultivate that continuity of mindfulness by staying with one object, that might have been pretty frustrating. And yet maybe this 
this form of just receiving, receiving, receiving can create the stability for you to be able to recognize, you know, just like the mind will go from this thing to this thing to this thing and to see kind of the, the habits at work underneath that and when the mind wants to leap, not just from kind of random thing to random thing, but leap into a reaction, we can see that happening. And um, in the seeing of that, the, the mind kind of headed in the direction of reactivity, sometimes the mind will, uh, sometimes there can be a capacity to just let that go, and sometimes the mind will naturally let it go, as we've really seen over and over again that a particular direction of reactivity will result in struggle and suffering in our minds. And so from the perspective of the underlying um, purpose of the practice, there's not a need <laughs> to focus um, i don't know i don't know <laughs> you know it it could be that there's there's some uh um, um, habitual conditioned I mean, it may be there may it could be partly that this is just the way your your brain chemistry is put together, and that's just what you live with and work with. And it could also be that you'll discover a little bit of um, opting in to that at times, or or believing it or buying into it. That when you start to see that, that part might fall away, and then there might be a little bit uh, less of the uh, jumpiness. But, you know, I can't say whether that would happen or not. But I do know for myself that um, certain patterns that have just seemed like, well, this is just the way my mind is put together. Well, to some extent, yes, it is the way my mind is put together. And to some extent, because my mind is put together that way, my mind has bought into that and reinforced it. So that piece of the reinforcing can start to fall away as we just open to what's happening and how we're, you know, just the, the subtle way we can just leap in there and say, oh, yeah, we'll do that. We're familiar with that. So, yeah. Thank you. I'm curious if you can um, describe maybe some of the similarities and differences um, in Saito-Tajaniya's practice and what I've come to understand to be like the Thai forest tradition, which also seems to emphasize uh, an open awareness type practice. Um, I haven't... Um, I've done a little bit of practice in the Thai forest tradition um, with Ajahn Sumedho in particular, Um, I think there's a lot of overlap um, in terms of the receptivity, the non-directed quality of attention. Um, I think there actually may be a little bit more investigation in Saito Utejaniya's approach. He's, he is interested in helping us in particular once we get this uh, uh, settled back receptive awareness going to begin to investigate um, how the, how how what our minds do is put together and 
I don't know. I mean, I haven't practiced enough with the the Thai forest tradition to know whether they move in the direction of investigation. In particular, uh, Saito Utejaniya is interested in helping us understand the five aggregates of our experience, the, how the body... And this is basically a little taste of what I pointed to in the internal and external, you know, to begin to look at... Um, uh, the body and feelings and perception and consciousness and uh, reactivity or mental formations and how they all like come together to create experience. So I've seen with Saito Tejaniya, there's a lot of interest. It doesn't come so much through an active, um, an active do this investigation as it is just in the conversation, in the the way the discussion unfolds, that the interest in that exploration is brought to the fore. Um, so it's not so much that you sit down and you say, okay, I'm going to look at perception right now. Or, but he talks about it a lot in the discussions. And so that becomes something that the mind naturally gets interested in looking at. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure whether that em- emphasis is happens quite so much in the Thai forest tradition. Maybe it maybe it does if you um, uh, practice with them for a long time. But I think the basic the basic um, receptive style is 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 similar. Could you pass the mic back? So I've been wanting to say to somebody, boy, you have a lot of rules. And then today I started to think, well, I've got a lot of rules. They're just different. Maybe they're looser than this other person, but I've got rules. So when you do mindfulness more and more, do you start to loosen up your rules? What happens with those rules that we have? I think, so that's, a, that's an interesting question, you know, it's like we start to see, I mean, as we are more mindful, we start to see basically that we're operating with a certain pers- set of perspectives and ideas and agendas, I'll call those, those are kind of rules, right, our agendas about how things go or our senses of what's right and wrong, you know, the, the uh, we, it, it becomes revealed that we are buying into rules, often that we hadn't really noticed. I mean, we're all swimming in our own rules. And um, they're so often so close to us that we're not really aware that they are simply our own rules, our own perceptions, our own perspectives on how things should work, how reality should, how reality should unfold. And so the practice of mindfulness does begin to help us see we're all, I'm swimming in my rules. So it helps us to recognize that we are holding rules and living by rules. It helps us also to see, as you said, that others hold different rules. <laughs> so we begin to understand those rules as a kind of a, an added construct in our experience. And I think what happens is that we begin to hold them more lightly. Maybe even can begin to recognize when a particular rule is appropriate or inappropriate for a given time. 
So the, the, the mindfulness helps to reveal uh, what has been hidden from us. I mean, like you said, oh, you know, you have a lot of rules, but wait, so do I. You know, it's like that part of it, the fact that, that we're all each swimming in our own rules does become more apparent. And the very awareness of that My, I guess my understanding of how, how this would work is that the awareness of holding to rules and swimming in rules begins to be shown as being hooked sometimes to certain ways that we're suffering. You know, I'm holding to my rules and you're not following my rules and we suffer over that. And, and when we start to see that the way we're holding to our rules is creating suffering our minds begin to loosen around the tight holding to those rules. So it, uh, it, it supports the letting go of those rules. I wouldn't say it, it gets rid of them, but it at least helps us to understand that they are rules and not reality, basically. Does that make sense? Does that speak to what you were asking? Maybe we use the ones that, I mean, we need rules to say safe, Yes. Uh-huh. So we keep the ones that are more useful maybe and drop some of them. Yeah, I would say I don't want to drop the fact that people have to stop at a red light. <laughs> so yeah, that's, you know, there there's certain certain rules that kind of communi- communally we can share. And yet some of those rules, you know, um can be pretty uh We can be we can we can think that certain rules are keeping us safe, and yet they may just be working to keep a certain set of us safe, a certain set of the population safe, and not another set. And you know we may be unaware that there's a you know this this kind of thing around um, uh, around diversity around. Um, communities of color, you know, different, different cultures, different perspectives, certain uh, feelings of safety in one community can create certain feelings of unsafety in another community. And so even the, le- the areas of the rules around safety can be very uh, um, culturally conditioned. <laughs> so, I mean, like, while I'm not ready to give up people stopping at a red light, um, there, there are some other, perhaps, and I, you know, I can't think of anything in the moment. I can't think of an example in the moment. Um, uh, here's one, you know. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a great example, but, um, um, you know, some, in some ways, some cultures orient uh, around... Um, feeling safe in a in a communication environment by um, finding out you know what work does somebody do or um, 
you know, just to, to, to kind of have, enter into a conversation um, with somebody that you don't know by saying, oh, so what do you do? What's your work? Or something like that. And, and you know, at some level, you know, that seems like an a, a innocuous thing, but that there's a certain way in which the, the feeling of comfort is a feeling of safety in, our, in a culture. And so the feeling of comfort of, well, how do I enter into a conversation? Oh, well, we, we can talk about what we do. Let's, let's talk about our work. And that, in certain cultures, has a very safe feeling. Um, we're not branching into topics of, oh, you know, dangerous topics like politics or I don't know what, but, you know, so, you know, just like, okay, let's just, let's keep it safe here. Let's talk about what we do. And in other cultures, that, that might be a very um, uh, unsafe topic to talk about. Um, and so when two cultures come into connection, there can be misunderstandings around how we're engaged in the simple rules of uh, interaction where we're each trying to find ways to feel comfortable and safe and they're kind of working at cross purposes. So, um, you know, the the feeling of safety is, is something that is worth exploring. And I think the exploration around um, where do I feel comfortable or not comfortable is a good, a good way in because so much of our own cultural um, comfort uh, or so much of our own, culture, uh, our own orientation to a culture and certain rules comes because we're comfortable with those rules. Um, and so when we get into a situation where we're feeling discomfort, you know, our practice tells us open to discomfort, you know, rather than orienting towards how can I make myself feel comfortable here? Can I open to discomfort? You know, can I, can I find a way to uh, let this discomfort, like, just be here? Does it have to be a problem that there's discomfort? Often I think we, we equate, or we can quickly move to equating a feeling of discomfort to a feeling of lack of safety. You know, I'm uncomfortable here, so I'm not safe somehow. But really, it's just a, a little bit of discomfort. And so in looking at that terrain of what's safety and what's, uh, you know, what is actual, you know, physical safety versus what is safety of feeling comfortable, that's a big exploration for us. It's like it opens a big terrain of, of uh, um, uh, truth, <laughs> To, to begin to acknowledge, you know, what is this truly about physical safety or is it about comfort? And if it's about being uncomfortable here, can I just be uncomfortable? I mean, why is it so bad to be uncomfortable? And yet we, we no, you know, when we're uncomfortable, it's like, oh, you know, ah, how, can I, how can I be safe again? So to not... To not just um, assume that our definition of safety is necessarily uh, an accurate one, I guess. Yeah. Well, that was a kind of an interesting. (laughs) 
this is the topic that's on my mind a lot these days. So that's par- probably partly why it uh, it came up here. Maybe one more comment or question. Yeah. Uh, I think it's not on. Um, it that issue of comfort. Re- reminds me of I was up at the pool and there was a lifeguard there I've known for a while and a a young woman lifeguard walked by and he said you're looking even more beautiful today than you were yesterday thanks for coming in (laughs) and then I thought well did she do something inappropriate I mean did she dress more appropriately today than yesterday because I didn't understand why he said such a personal thing to her and um and he said, no, she's just, so, she's just so beautiful. These young women here are so beautiful. And then he went on to say that they've had to had a, have a come-to-Jesus talk with management because the women were starting to complain about feeling uncomfortable with the older sexist comments. Uh-huh. So I realized there was just a whole political issue there. And, um, it, you know... And then, uh, so so I think she was just trying to avoid him a little bit. Uh-huh. And I thought it was probably unwanted attention for her. And then he's just trying to, he can't help but pursue. And I'm in between, because it's like, no one says that about me anymore. <laughs> 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 or, or he said, well, you know, you, you're good looking, you should know that. And I'm just thinking, you know, I, I, that's, that's, so that's kind of coming from an image and a perception and a little bit. So anyway, it was, it's just the human relations are... I think difficult. Oh yes, and yeah. I think that the, all those women deserve to come to work without someone, you know, feeling that they are being watched and looked at and sexualized. Yes, they need. This is a job that doesn't pay well, and that's all they need. And then um, he, anyway, he doesn't have much connection. Yeah, you know, he, to, to seeing what he's actually doing. He's, yeah, yeah, he's not seeing what he's actually doing. And in this case, it sounds like there is a. It's an edge of. Um, discomfort shading into a legitimate feeling of lack of safety, you know, that, that, um, I mean, we, we do in, in the being on the receiving side of unskillful and oppressive comments. You know, we have our own uh, work to do around Okay, that happened. You know, that, that is what the experience was. That, that has happened. And, you know, how can I maybe just, you know, so, so how might a skillful response be? What might a skillful response be? You know, trying to sink into my shell and ignore the thing. That might not be so skillful. Uh, lashing out in anger might not be so skillful. But basically saying, that was an unnecessary comment. I mean, maybe that would be that would be skillful. And, so, and, you know, and, we, and I think if you address address that person directly, they get to hear. You're, I'm uncomfortable with that comment. This is the this is the workplace. I don't, you know, something like that. That takes effort. It, it takes effort, and it also it's not so clear sometimes whether in that moment that conversation it's the right time for that. Um, so, you know, that it it sometimes we have to 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 be on the side of working in our own experience and sitting with what has happened. Sometimes we take the leap and we make some action and then we see what's the consequences of that. Was that skillful? Was that, was that helpful? Um, 
so you know it's a it's a it's the terrain of relationship and um, honoring both ourselves in that terrain of relationship what feels what feels skillful what feels like this being this system can step into you know within its context of discomfort and safety and um, um, what uh, what the situation uh, as a whole needs so you know we we we, we, we learn to, to, within the context of relationship, take care of both ourselves and uh, see the other person as well, you know, to... to, to just a kind of, an, as an aside, for instance, you know, just, this is a, a different context entirely, but uh, the other day when I was driving to work, I've been playing with what it feels like to be in relationship with all the drivers on the road, you know, just... Um, to, to be understanding that every car contains at least one, if not more, beings that have their own plans, their own agendas, their own lives. And it has really shifted to a very beautiful practice. It's almost like a meta practice driving down the freeway. And um, at one point the other day, I saw somebody weaving really fast in the road. And in the past, very often that has created a response of anger, uh, even anger that, you know, you're putting other people at risk, you know, that kind of thing. This time, what I felt in the moment was the suffering of that person's contracted mind that they didn't understand that there were other beings in the road and other beings that they, it's like I could feel the contractedness of that state of mind that was treating the cars like objects. And so there's, there's a way in which moving into this terrain of looking at relationship can help us to open to compassion for the unskillful, inarticulate, sexist, racist, homophobic con- comments that come. And maybe from that place of compassion be able to uh, build a bridge of a compassionate response. So, yeah, it's it's a huge area for practice. This is a huge area for practice for us to, to begin to open to this this terrain of safety rules. <laughs> you know, it's 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 vast. It's vast. So thank you, thank you for those reflections. So why don't we let this settle and come into a, uh, a, a last sitting together and um, kind of the um, uh, you know this th- the fact that this kind of topic came into the room um, may have produced some feelings of discomfort in some of you or feelings of relief in some of you or uh, just different different experiences, different sensations. The, the conditions of what we've just discussed are part of what's happening right now. And so open to that. Start there as you settle into your body.
body. Don't try to like put that aside and say, okay, let's come back and okay, aware, what am I aware of? It's like open to how you are now, however that is. Settling into your experience. <laughs> 